Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome to the Virtualization Cloud Security Podcast, episode number 170. Yep, been doing this for 170 episodes, a little slow this year, about once a month, but we're going to go back on schedule to our once every other week. So I'm here with Mike Foley, who is working in VMware as a, in the technical Senior. marketing for vSphere. Senior technical marketing architect. Senior technical marketing architect, he got promoted. Over the summer, yeah. <laughs> well done. So what does that mean? Well, we're, um, Mike's with VMware. I'm an independent, and we often have a third or fourth person on, but um, um, the person we're going to have come join us is actually sick this morning. So what we're going to do is talk about our topic for this week, and that is preparation for the holidays. I know the holidays are a day away, so you get a lot of prep to do today and tomorrow and every other day. But it's really from a security perspective. But we do have some news First, Mike, you have a new website. It answers a very <laughs> important question. Please tell us about it. Well, um, for years, I have been pummeled with questions around uh, virtual machine escape. And for those of you that may not be familiar with it, it's the theory, and I emphasize theory, that Malware gets on a virtual machine, um, roots its way down to the hypervisor, takes over the hypervisor, and bad things ensue. And it barely a week goes by, sometimes uh, barely a day goes by, uh, when I don't get a question from a customer uh, or uh, via a salesperson <clears throat> saying, oh my God, my security team has put the kibosh on everything we're doing because they're afraid of VM escape. And after doing multiple VMworld sessions, uh, white papers, blogs, all sorts of Podcast. other content, podcasts, interviews, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, I finally gave up. And on Monday, I got uh, yet another email, and I went, I'm going to check something. So I went to Whois and uh, checked to see if vmescape.com was available, and sure enough, it was. So I immediately purchased it, set up a static web page on there with all sorts of links to all the content, all the podcasts, all the other stuff, and I'm you know of more, please let me know. Um, and put in a little blurb around if VM Escape is your, your first priority, uh, you're doing something wrong. And so vmescape.com is available. Uh, and if you have your 
ver uh, VMware VM Escape questions and you send them to me, you will get back a link to vmescape.com for you to peruse at your leisure. Um, I am done. It's actually some really nice, um, really good um, conversation pieces there, too. And I'm sure later on in next year we'll probably have a, a podcast where we go over some of this. But um, just everybody go to vmescape.com, give it a good read, and you should answer all your questions. And I agree with Mike. And, I, and, and Mike, you and I have been in agreement about this for years. In order to do all that, it's far easier for the attacker to break your management in that yes. past than it is from the break the hypervisor. As, as, a, as I say on the web page, I am far more worried about admin escape than I am about VM escape. And in now it actually can be those are incredibly easy to do. Yes. So it's the lowest and, root of virtualization security is not about the escape; it's about protecting the admin. Right, and the um, and in vSphere 6.5, there is a new feature of the hypervisor, an architectural change. You don't have to touch anything. You don't have to do anything. There's nothing to tweak, um, whereby the process that runs the virtual machine, known as the VMX process, is now running in a sandbox. And there are configuration files that state what that process has access to and what it does not have access to. So that should something in the future, note that I've never said that it won't happen. I'm just saying it's highly unlikely and you have other things to worry about first. Um, in the unlikely event that something did happen where someone could break into the VMX process, they are essentially sandboxed at that stage and have no access to the hypervisor. And it becomes extremely difficult anyways because there's nothing to catch on to. Nothing right. normal. Let's just say that. Right. You'd have to know a lot more than most people do. Yeah. Even figure out what to hook on to. And when, and when I... Mean, I and not I, only do you use sandboxes, you use namespaces. I mean, it's very difficult to break a lot of the securities. Yes. The security there. So, again, if you have questions, go there. Let's move on to the new topic because I'm done talking about VM Escape 2. Are you? As I said, I'm all done. Okay. All right. The topic for today is what do we need to do to prep for the holidays? I mean, we're all going on vacation or a long week, and um, there's always security alerts. There's always security problems that happen while people are gone. How do we prep to ensure that, A, they don't happen, or, B, we know they happen and they get fixed? And either either by automatic remediation or some other means, uh, we do have one question on the thing is on the on our chat on the talk shoot chats, and that is, would you increase what you alert via email or SMS since no one is watching the, the dashboards and SIEM dashboards? But I'm actually going to say any dashboard because this is also important for performance. I mean. You and I talked about in the past, what's the difference between a performance issue and an actual security issue? And to your research, it does almost nothing. It could be one or the other. So what would you do in that case? How would you answer that question, Mike? Oh, man. I'm always afraid of 
Sure, you could increase the alert, but is someone going to decrease the alert on January 2nd when everyone's back in the office? Probably not. So what you end up with is a situation where the alerts are artificially high for an extended period of time, and then they become the new norm. And at what stage next year do you increase to? Um, I, I would rather, geez, what could you do? Oh, my gosh. Well, let's stop there. I think there's one thing you yeah. actually must do to start with. Just looking okay. at that one question, let's look at the one, two, a couple of things. SMS. Ignoring email for a second, but SMS. Ensure that the right people are being paged. You can do that. Just ensure that the people that are not out of the country are the ones being paged. Because if they're out of the country, they're probably not going to be able to do anything for you. you know, double yep. check your call tree effectively. You know, look at this is more of a process thing, but I mean, I was um, I work with a company that does a lot of stuff, and I get paged from them all the time. I, when I was leaving the country, I said, "Look, I'm not going to be able to help you except over the phone." You know, don't page me, call me. Right. Nothing I can do. I may not even get the page. And right. we fixed that. But one time they didn't, I got pages. I had to send them an email a couple hours later saying, look, what's this fixed? Because I couldn't do it. You knew that. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, we got it. We got it fixed. But make sure you have your ducks in a row for the people that are going to be out of town. Don't talk to them. They're not going to be a help you. They could be in the middle of the woods. You don't know. You, I think probably the big thing here is uh, you should treat this the same way you would treat a uh, natural disaster, a disaster recovery scenario, whereby uh, you have who is available, how they're available, and when they're available. And if they're not available, who is their backup, and how are they available, and when are they available? These are things that you can't do on December 23rd as everyone's finishing uh, the Christmas party. These are things that you're going to have to do, probably start doing, you probably should have started doing about three weeks ago. And no start doing it no later than December 1. Right. Which is about... I'm give a timeline for that one. That shouldn't be done earlier. But let's get back to, okay, so we handled that. Now let's hit, look at look at email. SMS is usually sent out by email, but not always. When I look at email alerts and stuff for security while people aren't gone, I may be able to use SMS through an alternative email server. I may actually even set it up to do that. Email can be broken too. Mm -hmm. So you may not actually get alerts over email so I guess I, what I would recommend is, and again, you need to set this up probably earlier or always had it set up, is have at least two mechanisms to get out. Your normal mechanism, your normal email channels, normal SMS channels, and a secondary one that is only used for emergencies. Because that's exactly what you're right. It's a disaster if it happens while everybody's gone. So have a second channel there somewhere. You can't have just one. Even if that channel happens to be Google, for lack of anything better. Yeah, and and the important thing is you need to test all of this. Yes. <laughs> you can't you can't just set it up and hope. You need to test, and you need to test. You need to test 
when no one's looking. It can't be exactly. everyone sitting in the room going, okay, I'm going to do a test now. Oh, look, Edward's gotten his text. Okay, we're all set now. No. Do an overnight test. You have to do an overnight test. Or and maybe you need to... Uh, I mean, there's any number of things that should or could be done based on... Um, uh, based based on how big your environment is, yeah. right? If what happens if the network connection to your building is down? Some you know, some a truck ran into the pole and took out the the connection. And that where, that's where I, I and some up, and right? someone has gotten in through your dial up or something like that. I mean, I know I'm going 80s on us, but uh, well, no, they're still in use. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, you need to have just like you have defense in depth in firewalling and other security constructs, you need defense in depth uh, uh, from a standpoint of notification. And that may be, uh, uh, may include some type of cell phone connected network device that would be the alternative path for an outgoing message. Exactly. And then there's also, when we talk about that, how do you know if you've been, you're, you have, Connectivity, even if let's say that cell phone connected path is the last one, it would be nice to say what really broke. Yeah. And when you think about it, like there's um, SolarWinds, not, not, not SolarWinds, um, SolarWinds doesn't have this, but um, several other companies do. And that is, is that invest in a cloud service that all it does is just verify that your network is available, that your customer-facing bits are alive. There's a number of tools that can do that. You don't have to do everything from within your own bastions. You can actually use external sources to verify at least availability. And if you haven't invested in one of those, I think you should. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean there's all a number of, all of services to do that. All, all of this is highly dependent on your environment, right? Well, if you're if customer you're, facing, you need something that is external to verify. If you're 100% internalized, that's a little bit different. Right. Right. I mean, I don't expect the the mom and pop shop that's uh, you know where they're all going on vacation uh, that week uh, to need that, but. Um, maybe in those cases you shut down some of your environment that contains any sense of information. You put you replace your web page with a static web page. You know, be back after the holidays, and, um, and you you isolate all of that stuff so that someone can't get into it while you're not looking. I mean, that's that's for a very small environment. For a larger that's environment, for a very very small environment that doesn't depend on the network to make money. If you are depending on the network yeah. to make money, I mean, I have, a, I, have a medi- I have a medium company that I do a lot of business with, and they have an external verifier just because that's they got to know what their customers are looking at, too. From a security perspective, if they're down because of that and they don't have availability, they don't make money. So they're constantly checking for availability from outside. It, that's kind of crucial. Even my own little 
environment. I use a external service that does it acts as a web application firewall. It acts as an availability checking availability. It also gives me um, better role-based access controls and so forth. And it's a pretty major company and does lots and lots of this for everybody else, but allows me to kind of centralize where I'm doing all that, but it's only for customer-facing stuff. After that, it's not, it's not touching at all. So again, defense in depth. So we've got the verification of your effective call tree. You have verification that you have an external source to or some non-networking source to send out messaging for those companies that need it. We have verify availability and the paths in are actually working through an, a third-party tool. I mean, now let's, let's, let's think about if it is a private environment, what are you going to do other than the SMS and the cell phone? Well, there's push notification services that, uh, are, you know, you've got like Apple's push notification service that doesn't use SMS. Um, there's... Oof. Well, let's go back. Would you, I mean, increasing the sensitivity of your SIM. My answer to that is you don't want to increase the sensitivity of it. Because if you increase the sensitivity, unless, as Mike pointed out, is a way to say during this period increase the sensitivity and after that period don't bother, and then put it back to normal. Yeah, you so also some automated way to do that, I would use it. You, but you also run the risk of, you know, by increasing the sensitivity, you've increased the sensitivity to false positives. And that's where you need a good tool that does not, that's not really, that doesn't give false positives. Yeah, good luck with that one. Exactly. Well, there are a few. If you, there's a couple of ones that are coming out now. And um, the, the Dan Barr just mentioned people are tired of false positives. It is, and more so during the holidays. And he's absolutely right. So you need a you need better tools. And there are some tools that are coming out now that are in the last couple of years, actually, and they're growing in popularity. Are tools that actually, because of the way they work, by using deception technologies, if one of those bad addresses bad usernames, bad whatever, even services are attacked or accessed, you know that it's not a false positive because knowing the right of mind should be going there anyways. It's not part of the normal day-to-day -day work. So using a tool like one of those may be giving you a better hit rate for to get rid of false positives. And if you have a deceptive... Um, Let's say you have a deceptive username. You have a username on the system that's actually not in the host file. It just happens to be sitting in memory. And someone picks up on it and tries to use it all over the place. I'll guarantee you, you know someone's done something wrong. <laughs> you can't get to it unless they're doing something abnormal to start with. And for Windows, that's actually fairly easy to set up. So you may, I guess the biggest one for me would be ransomware. Um, 
that would benefit from a canary like that. That's all it really is, is a canary. Put a file out on your, your file servers. Write a script that checks that file for its contents. If you can't read the contents, it's ransomware, and you really need to be worried about that. You, that's the notification you want to get. Yep. I would, I would argue that one way to defend during the holidays is to, um, if you have a system that, that can do quarantining of email, is anyone who gets an attachment gets quarantined. Absolutely. During that period of time. Again, right? you would have to and, have a you know, tool that allows you to set that. Yeah, they get, an e they get an email saying the following messages have been quarantined, and you send out an email beforehand saying, we are quarantining all emails that have attachments in the name of security, and you can review all of these emails through the existing, like I, I get an email every day with, uh, here's your list of junk mail, and if you want to release an email that you think is not junk, go ahead and do it. That gives me that pause moment where I go, hmm, and that would do the same thing so that, you know, at the end of your holiday period, you get an email that says, here are all the emails that have been sent with to you that may or may not be junk, and anything that was sent to you with an, with an attachment during this time frame only has been marked as suspicious. Be careful when you open it. Or even that, better. that alone would stop, you know, most of the phishing attacks. Oh yeah, especially spear phishing attacks. Well, no, during during a time when there's no one there to keep a, eye, right? And also, you can they can they can um, automatically remove links. Your your mail server allows you to do that. It should automatically remove all links that are not whitelisted, so that people can't click on things while you're gone either. That's another option. But that protects the P that protects end user computing systems, but what about the servers themselves? <clears throat> Is there anything special we should do there? I like that idea of turning on to, to basically turn on quarantine of all things. Mm -hmm. um, the other one would be to remove all links except for ones that are whitelisted. Yep. That would be another good one. Um, so for email coming in, for those people that do have to work, they have, they don't have, they, they're protected and you're protected. I, you're right, that would get rid of a vast majority of, of issues. But there's more than just those. There's things that, uh, there's defacement, there's other things of people attacking websites all the time. Um, another question, would you turn off non-critical systems and network entry points. Um, we already mentioned non-critical systems probably should be off. Yeah. Yeah, probably. But would you disable the network entry points? And the answer I would have is no. In my own environment, I have multiple network entry points to cover various issues with where I'm coming in from. So if I'm coming in from a low latency line, I know I can use an entry point that gives me 
very good graphics so that I can fix problems faster. Yet, if I'm coming over a highly latent line or a very slow connection, I actually have a different network entry point that allows me to use just a terminal. One's easier, one's harder. That allows me to pick and choose as an admin the right tool to use for whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Would I disable both of those? Absolutely not, because if something goes wrong, I want to be able to get in. Especially remotely. I mean, not, I mean, if we're traveling over the holidays, remote access is going to be very, very important. What are your thoughts on that one, Mike? Um, comes down to, you know, do you really need that level of remote access if you're on, if everyone's on vacation? I think it depends on how you normally do your business. If you normally use remote access to do administration, turning it off would be a bad idea. If you normally do not allow that, then having it on is kind of silly. Because it just becomes yet another attack point that is not normally monitored. Mm -hmm. So adding it to, do, to allow remote access, I wouldn't add unless you're going to make that your normal mechanism for doing administration work, not just as an emergency. Now, I've had some where some issues I've had to fix where I actually had to have someone looking at the physically looking at the back of the rack to see if something was plugged in right. Now, that's when I want a hollow lens. <laughs> watch what they're watching and say, ah, oh, yeah, you need to do that right. That's wrong. Um, <laughs> Soon enough, we will have our little data center drones flying around. <laughs> yeah, with a hollow lens on each of them. But when, you, when it boils down to, if you don't normally ac allow that access, don't just enable it. That would be, yeah. unless it's a well-known practice with inside of your own company that during emergencies or disasters or during whatever we do turn that on so we can get more people working on the problem or different per people working on the problem. That's something you do every time and you've tried and tested it in the middle of the, in the summer when everybody's around or in the, in the fall when everybody's around, then go for it. If you haven't yep. tried and tested it, don't just turn it on. That would be a big mistake. I think. Yeah, but turning off I think, critical I think systems. An, I, I think, think another. Great. I think another thing to to do during the holidays. Um, there are uh, a number of solutions. Um, I know you know VMware has one with uh, VIDM, um, where you have identity management, and depending on what you're doing or what you're coming in from, um, you'll either have to provide a username and password or username and say two-factor authentication. It might be worthwhile during the holidays to require that all logins, regardless of what they are, require two-factor auth. You know, if I turned that on for everybody for the holidays, oh. I may not turn it off. 
Well, that's certainly a priority. Your priority. It's certainly a way to make sure everybody uses two-factor auth. And 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 actually, TFA is a good good one to use. There's a number of different products that allow you to just add it in without anything yep. being a bother. But make yep. sure it's really 2FA. There's a lot of solutions that claim to be 2FA that are not. And, and no. SMS has been deemed by NIST to no longer be a reasonable 2FA solution. Well, and, and the, let's, let's talk about that one for a moment. Most people still think it is even though NIST doesn't. But NIST doesn't because the thing you have is also the thing you get that second factor of authentication on. So it just becomes the thing you have instead of some other factor, which is something you have, something you are, and something you know. Can't If, I, if I'm getting the SMS on the same device in which I'm accessing the website or accessing the server, all the person has to do is have that device to break all that. Right. This is a bad thing. So be careful what yep. you mean by 2FA. Um, things you need to, you may have to increase monitoring to ensure that that device is not outside of the country or outside the region. If it is, then don't allow it. So you need to know the location of that device as, a, as another factor. That would be something also very interesting to use. So we've talked about access in a number of different ways. We've talked about increasing sensitivity. We've talked about alternative methods for getting messages out. We've talked about you know, using external sources to verify availability. As a matter of fact, during those external sources, if you're going to use them during the holiday, you may want to just continue to use them as a matter of just being able to monitor your systems for availability, for uptime. This isn't, I mean, these services are not inexpensive, are not expensive, but they're well worth doing. There's some free ones out there as well for a low number of servers. We've talked about disabling non-critical services. For example, do you need the accounting system up and running while everybody's gone and no one's touching it? Exactly. Do you need HR services running when they're not around. Something to think about. If you are 100% cloud-based, that becomes difficult to disable, so what do you do? Now, if you're using... Right, so one of the things you, you talk about, um, shutting down non-critical systems during times when the people that use them are not there is great. Um, and to go back to Dan Barr's comment about SIM sensitivity, one of the things you might want to do in that particular case is then turn around and add a new alert to, to say, if the following system is powered on, let me know. Exactly. Because it's not, because it's not supposed to be powered on. And so what that means is, you know, the person in HR calls up the, the, the operator or the junior admin at home and says, I absolutely need to log into the HR system. I know we said it was need to be down, but I need to do something right now. At least then you'd have, and, and he just powers it on because he, he's afraid of the HR person because, hey, they control everything. Um, 
at least then other people would be notified as to what's going on. Exactly. And the real quite thing is, is that there's actually very good people that will call that person up anyways and say, hey, I'm from HR, but give the right name and all the information. And Absolutely. And can fake out an admin. It doesn't have to be via email. Phishing actually happens on the phone all the time. Oh, yeah, just uh, just read Kevin's books. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, that's, that's exactly what happened uh, to the VMS development group back in the 80s when Kevin was – was going around, he would just call up the operator in the middle of the night, say he was someone else, and and say, "Can you reset my password?" And they'd go, "Okay." Yep. So that's what I that's why I'm worried about admin escape. Mm-hmm. That's why we all are. Yep. And that's the other thing is, as you can tell, people it's like, "No, there's no way to call and to turn on things. They're off. People aren't supposed to be working." They want to turn it on. They have to come to the office. You have to meet them there. It's kind of like a second key. I yeah. doubt they're going to. Or use a callback mechanism. In other words, they call you, you call back on the number you have registered for the person to ensure it's the right person. That could be another way to do it. So adding more, I know this adds some more processes, but when you think about it, these are things that people may want to do all the time anyways. None of this is stuff that I would do just during the holidays. But just during the holidays, you know, powering off things, absolutely. Um, removing excess entry points, I'm not sure I would. Unless, again, you know, it's that bank of modems that no one's going to use because they're all on vacation, then maybe I would. Right. But what's the thing about this one if I'm not running in a data center? What happens if I'm actually using only 100% cloud services? These things I can't just power off unless it's an infrastructure as a service and I can power off the VMs. But if I'm using a cloud service, I can't just power things off. So how do I control access to things outside my control? Wow. That brings a whole other level of yikes. Yeah. Well, for example, if the whole sales group is off and I use Salesforce, maybe what I do is I just I effectively may, I, I disable Salesforce. And you can do that using a CASB or any number of things where if they try to log in, they basically can't. Right. Well, and um, if you do if you do have a central identity provider, you know, like, so for example, at, at VMware, we have VIDM and it's called Workspace One. And uh, if I was a salesperson, I would log into Workspace One, which would authenticate me. And then I'd click on the little icon and I'd be let into Salesforce. There's nothing that says I can't from the VIDM admin dashboard, remove that that icon temporarily. Exactly. And if I'm using any form of CASB, I can do the exact same thing because actually CASBs or cloud access security brokers tie directly into the SSO setup for yep. the cloud service. And I can literally same. say no one can log in. Same thing. Right. 
Right. Because it these, effectively these, turns around and uses a unit. It can be using your own credentials and federated credential manager or any other type of credential manager, and you can control it all from there. So, yes, for a cloud, I can do the same thing for non-critical systems. But yep. when you come boil down to it, that's actually kind of a gross impact. I may want to turn it off for people I know are not in the office and keep it on for people that I do. So if people have vacation set, say gone. For people that are actually working, it's on. So you need a much finer level of integration when you start to deal with 100% cloud services. Agreed. It opens up a whole different world because that's what we're in. We're in this hybrid cloud world where you know, I have some on-prem I can have direct control over, and I have all these cloud services where I can almost have absolutely no control over except for maybe authentication. And for those cloud services, I guess what I would do is probably ensure, and again, this is something I probably set up for a holiday, but keep it going permanently, and that is make sure all my data is encrypted if the service allows for that. Yeah. Again, something that you would turn on and keep on. So what we most of what we talked about is more process than technology. Would you agree? It's always about process. It's never about technology. Everyone wants a tech, technology solution when what they really need to do is embrace process solutions. Mm -hmm. I would this agree. is no different whether it's Christmas or day after tomorrow. <laughs> True. Yeah. Absolutely. But, I mean, there is one thing I'm going to say, though, right now is before you left on your break, are you satisfied with your backups? <laughs> Have you tested your backups? Exactly. I'm going to say if your data protection hasn't been verified before you went on a break for your critical systems, then most likely it may not work. Because <laughs> if everything went to hell in a handbasket with purple cushions, when you get back to fix that, you've got to rely on your data protection. And if you haven't actually verified it before a major break like this, at least for your critical systems, then you're in trouble because it may not work. There's a good chance it won't work. So I would always probably schedule a test beforehand. Absolutely schedule tests beforehand. And that shouldn't be just for holidays. That should be on a regular um, a regular basis uh, at varied time times. Yes. Then you can Not, do it automatically. Hey, we're going to have a test on Monday. You know, if you having been in the military, uh, very rarely do you get a heads up that you're going to get an inspection. <laughs> you just get an inspection and and deal with the consequences. That, you know. Regardless, that's what you need to do in your environment.
not only do set it up so it be an automated test. Some of the testing solutions will automatically boot VMs and so forth or allow you to connect to certain things. Write the scripts or get someone to write the scripts to verify the application really is working. Don't just say it booted and it's good. How do you know what if you're missing something in your data protection? The answer is you don't. So make sure you have all that scripted. Don't count on the, soft, the, the data protection provider to have the scripts for your application. They just won't. That's, that's crucial. Yep. I mean, think about the, the way Netflix does their, and we brought this up a number of times, Netflix with their, their, the chaos monkey goes in and shuts down things all the time to ensure that people are coding things so that they can recover easily and quickly. Yeah. We used we used to do that in the in the VMS development group. I would just uh, I'd look over at my friend C W Hobbs and he'd look at me. We'd both smile. We'd both walk into the um, walk into the data center and just start changing stuff on the fly and then changing it back and seeing what blew up. Exactly. And it was not done. And it wasn't done in such a way that we you know yelled out, "Hey, we're about to do something." It's we just did it. And the, the modus operandi was, if it broke, it wasn't our fault, it was your fault. Exactly. Now, um, Dan Barr mentions that have the end users look at systems during a recovery test. Often IT doesn't know what they're looking at or how to tell if something's missing. I would agree with that, and at the same time, I wouldn't. IT has to know. They need to work with the end users during the creation of said scripts to ensure that they have the right things. The end but users, the end users should create something that says, "Here is how you validate that my application is up and running." Yes. Right, and it's it's beholden to the end user and their developers, let's say it's some type of you know, database with web front end sort of thing, and they, pay, they have developers that work on it, part of the acceptance process of IT running that is that IT gets a tell me where to go that says everything is working. Whether it's a web page or a log file or whatever the case might be, so that then when I have a disaster, I can check the box in my global uh, in my uh, um, governance risk and compliance dashboard that says on December 22nd at 9:46 when I brought the FUBAR application back up, I validated it by going to this source, whether it's a web page or a log file or everything, and it said it's okay. Now what happens is, is when they go ahead and they do an audit of it, it, and everything is not okay. It's not IT's fault, it's the application's fault. And this is really where there's a mix between DevOps, That's secure DevOps, and Agile. The developers need to be part of this process from the very beginning. They need to be thinking yep. about, you know, if they're going to be taking over a lot of all this. What's that? I mean, if, if the developers are going to be taking over a lot of what the operations and IT stakes, 
because they want to move faster, then they need to go off and start dealing with data protection and security right from the get-go. And if they don't have that information, they can't provide it because they don't know their app that well, or they only looked at a small part of it, and this tells us what that, how to make sure that service works. The developers should be writing this right in and keeping it as documentation all the way through their part of the process. So the handoff is extremely easy. Granted, that's not the case, but it should be. Now we got one, um, Dan um, Barr said he had a previous employer did an internal audit guy handed SQL queries to run during that SRM test. He gave the results and then they just compared it to production. That's one way to validate it, absolutely. Yep. You gotta know things work. And now if it was me that was SQL queries, I would have just scripted it and said, here you go, just run this every time you do an SRM test. I would have detected that, the test. The, that should be in the SRM reco- uh, recovery script. <laughs> you got it. Verification should be part of those scripts. Yes. Yeah, these these are the things I find a lot of customers don't think through. They are just all about, how do I get it from point A to point B? Okay, but there's a lot more than just getting it from point A to point B. And they're like, well, you know, we'll deal with that later. We'll just get it from point A to point B. Okay, so what problem are you trying to solve? Well, our audit is coming, and I need to be able to prove that it can get from point A to point B. Okay, so you don't need to prove that it actually needs to come up and running? Oh, no, 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 that's the other team's thing. That's not. <laughs> it's your team. It's everything. It's all integrated. That's the, that's the whole thing. What, it's not the business's concern? Nope, that's all. Um, that's all I'm being gold on. Get it from point A to point B. Oh, that's great. Ugh. Yeah, just that's that's the world we live in. It sucks. Well, we're still living in it, and it's still changing slowly. So, one thing is, is again, we talked data protection, making sure that that is running and has been verified before a long outage or long vacation, that would be a good thing to do. We've, verif- we've talked about you know, possibly using different tools for availability testing and so forth. Would, be, would there be anything else? Uh, I think I'd probably need another cup of tea to tell you one way or the other. I'm going to go with another physical one, and that is is that even though there is a large vacation, you may want to increase physical security to a certain extent to ensure that they're looking at the right things. Where are your critical assets inside of the building or whatnot? Ensure that they're going to be reviewed by a physical ICU type of approach. And who should be allowed in there? If there's anybody in that room, it's like call us immediately or call. It's like there's a problem. That's, that shouldn't happen. So make sure your physical security, if you have any, is also up to stuff. Verify that it's doing the right thing and give it its extra tasks that it needs to do that it normally doesn't do because other people do it during the, when they're there. So, you know, they don't have to walk through the data center. Maybe there's a glass window they can just look through. 
type of thing. Mm -hmm. Or the security cameras inside the data center make sure they're working. The temperature and humidity sensors inside the data center make sure they're working. You know, things like that make a difference. There's not just security outages you have to worry about, but there could be air conditioning outages, there could be other disasters just waiting in the wings. And for my case, make sure there's no, um, what was that? Electric, make sure there's no um, printer ink hanging around a data center. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The the uh, the famous story of um, back in the day uh, when you replaced a toner cartridge in a laser printer, it actually was a plastic tray that had a seal across the top that you removed the seal. And then you put that tray with the open, the open tray of toner um, into the printer. Well, the operator opened up the cabinet, took out the tray, uh, took the tray out of the box, peeled off the plastic, walked across the the um, the data center, tripped on a wire going across the floor, sending the toner poof a big black cloud into the data center which promptly got sucked into a whole bunch of disk drives and systems, and oh, wouldn't you know, toner is conductive. And it basically took out the data center. These things yep. happen. These things happen, but it, but it was it was the panic for a while. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, is this, these are all just normal things that we talk about, but it's a case of if you're going to be doing a, having a series of, Questions. You know, a lot of these have nothing to do with whether you're virtual or cloud, but a lot of them have to do with the process you're taking. It's like lesson number one, no printers in the data center. Right. Lesson two, printers are the worst. Yeah, I would say that. Um, but, you know, all of, all of these things that we're, that we're talking about are just good IT hygiene regardless. Yes. You know, I mean, Absolutely. these are things that you should be doing anyway, not just because it's a one-week-long holiday. It's These are things that you should be doing anyway and probably doing on a, a regular exercise basis just to ensure that you don't end up in a situation where uh, things have blown up and you don't know how to recover. When I talk to customers about what's your security disaster recovery plan, they look to IT. I'm like, no, 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 I'm looking at you, the security guy. What is your security disaster recovery plan? It'll incorporate IT, but what's your disaster recovery plan? They don't think through that. And that's the key is you need to, and we, we mentioned a lot of things we would say we'd keep running even after the holidays just because they give us extra verification. You can also turn them off or turn them on as necessary for other things. If you have a, a, for example, it doesn't have to be a long weekend. If you have a company-wide picnic, you may want to do it for them. If you have a, you know, three-quarters of the IT staff is on a retreat, you may want to do it for them. There's a lot of things that you need to think about throughout the year and plannings. You have to plan a lot of this stuff. You can't just, it's not by the hip anymore. Mm -hmm. 
if you're going to have half of IT out or half of ITs out with a cold, when was the last data protection test that you did? When was right. the last availability test that you did? Is, this is things you have to constantly do. Is it any different during the holidays? Not really. You've already done them before. You're just maybe making sure that they're all done as of a certain date before everybody leaves. I mean, it's just a simple checklist, but it's a very valuable checklist. I mean, I think checking out the, the call tree for emergencies that the systems will automatically call is a really good idea. You can verify that from the very beginning, who's on vacation, who's not. The calendars mm -hmm. are online. Just query the calendars. Mm -hmm. There's an API call. It can be done automatically. You could actually have the whole call tree readjust itself by looking who's on vacation. And if you find out that the critical people are on vacation, what do you do? They're not in the country. What do you do? Right. Well, you should know that long before right. the day. That may mean you have a, oh, I need to invest in a cell phone that can get a data plan in those countries. Or it may mean I need to sit there and figure out who's going to be their backup. Or, you know, sorry, you can't go on a vacation this time, but we're going to give you a vacation the week after where you can travel outside the country. There may be those requirements as well. People in process, that's, that's what it's all about. I know it doesn't sound exciting, does it, Mike? No, no. Security rarely is until it's exci exciting is a... Um, um, exciting and not in a good way. <laughs> That's when it's exciting. Yeah, you don't want it to be exciting, actually, because if it's exciting, there's usually something seriously wrong. Yep. So these are your considerations. Um, if anybody else has anything else they would normally do, please let me know. We'll definitely um, we're open to that. I'm on various channels for VMware vExperts. You can get me on Slack. If you're dealing with tech field, they can get me there as well. Um, I'm, and, but I'm always interested in your ideas and what you guys do before you head out for a long holiday. Um, this, is, this is crucial for people to understand what they need to do. And I think there's more planning than anything else. I mean, I have a checklist when I, before I travel. Uh, oh, one thing I do, I mean, if the company's small enough, or actually, in general, I would say a moratorium on updates. Oh, yeah. But yeah. You the Monday before to... you leave or a week before you leave or whatever, a moratorium on any updates, unless it's critical to the business. So if I have a new ad campaign that hits while I'm gone, I have to deal with that. But if right. it's a update to, like, say, Windows, forget it. <laughs> Don't change anything. Right. That would be a, a very useful thing to also, to also have. It's like to schedule your updates before everybody is gone. I mean, when I, before I travel to a conference or travel anywhere, I don't update my iPad. I just don't. I don't update my phone either. When I get back, I may. There's usually there's updates that coincide for critical systems 
if it's a critical system, I may not do that because it could break while I'm gone. And then where am I? That's, a, that's also something you can consider. Now, we're at the top of the hour. Mike, any last thoughts? Um, stay safe out there. Don't do stupid stuff. Go to vmescape.com. Send your security people there. If you have input on there that a question is not answered, please reach me on Twitter at, at Mike Foley, on Slack. Uh, I think I'm at Mike Foley. And, um, or email uh, Mike at Y-E-L-O-F, which is Foley spelled backwards, dot com. And uh, have a happy holiday. Everybody have a happy holiday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.